I have been, um, last fall it was, I was around September, God began to open my eyes to where I'm convinced he wants to take this church, at least the next steps. And I, I've been tempted to say, well, it's, it's kind of the plan for this year, but I believe it's more than this year. I'm not going to limit it to that. And there were some things I saw to do. We taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we, you know, that kind of would take a little longer doing that because there were some things we wanted to make sure people were clear on, and, and we, we did that. And several weeks ago, we had a service where we led people into that that wanted to go into a further level. And then the other thing the Lord had put on my heart to do very early last year was to train, and um, it's a continuing process, and then to install before you elder, the elders of the church. And we've done that last week. And for the last month or so, I've been almost impatient. I want to, and they're important to do, but I wanted to get to this. Because this has been bubbling up in me when I've been in meetings with the pastors and with planning staff. I just like, I can't, I get talking about this because it's, it's like something I'm pregnant with. And, and, uh, and today I get to talk about it. I get to start it. And I'm, I'm excited. Amen. Praise God. Because I, I know there's, I know, I don't, I don't believe, I know there's a place that God wants to take us together. Not take us, take us together. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. All kinds of things have come to me to, to teach and talk about, and I notice they all kind of stem out of this very basic thing. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And then we'll pray. Father, we come to you today and we're so grateful again for the time we have just to be with you. And now we sit at our Father's feet and we ask you to instruct us through the Holy Spirit and your word. That when we leave here, we would not leave here with information, but we would leave here with truth imparted into our hearts that will change us. Father, begin to paint in us by the Spirit of God the vision of who, how you see us and what you've called us to be like. Fill us with vision, Holy Spirit, of how you see us, that we may no longer see ourselves as we've seen ourselves in the past, both as individuals and as the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center. Open the eyes of our understanding that we might truly see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. For this is the calling of our life. And for the grace to do that, we rely upon the Holy Spirit and his anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, this is not going to be hard to grasp this first principle, but Ephesians chapter 4 follows Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 which we will look at not next week because we have a speaker next week, but we will look at afterwards because I want to understand something about Paul's writings, most of his letters. Most of his letters are written to churches. Some of them are written to individuals, but written to churches to either address an issue or a series of issues or to, to help them to, to grow in grace because they'll often start out by saying grace and peace. Most of his letters start out by saying grace and peace. And so the, Paul's pattern of doing that, which I, is, is, is the scriptural pattern for, 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 uh, for anybody in authority to do something, is he starts by reminding them who they are and what God's done for them. And so what we'll do, if I don't finish this introduction this morning, uh, when, we, when we finish this introduction, we're going to go back and look at what he says in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So I'd encourage you to read them because they're your chapters. They're what he's done for you. And we're going to go back and look because he starts out by saying, therefore. And I've taught you, whenever you see a therefore, go look and see what it's there for. That's an easy way to remember because therefore says what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. So if I don't know what he's just said, what he's about to say is not going to have the full effect in my life. So we'll go back and look at that. But I'm just opening the subject up this morning. So I want you to understand what he's about to say is based on a foundation of having gone over and reviewing with them a list, an overwhelming list and description of what God's done for us. And what he's done for them, he's done for us, for you and for me. But so this is just an introduction. I'm just going to read through it and then give you some basic ideas, and that's all our goal is this morning. I, therefore, 
That's what I just mentioned to you. The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 describes that calling. So he's saying, God has called you to something. Now I'm beseeching you. That's an old English word, but it's basically saying, I'm challenging you to, to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness, that's not groveling in the dirt, that's humility, and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That tells us that this calling is going to involve us bearing with one another. If you've got to bear with somebody with something, that means something's grating at you. That means in the process of doing this, we're going to have to learn how to get along with each other. Because if you've got to bear with one another, that means you're not all having fun together. That means we're rubbing up against each other from time to time. Have you noticed that that has happened occasionally? Well, that's good. Nobody's noticed that. All right. <laughs> Bearing with one another, notice this, in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. That doesn't mean he's from the south. But to each one of you, grace was given. To each one of you. This isn't written to the pastors. This is written to all the believers. To each one of you. So to every one of you this morning, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's given a gift, and he's measured that. And that gift is a grace that he's given. And then there's kind of a parenthetical here in the next couple of verses. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So he's about to discuss those gifts, but in the process, he talks about this ascending. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean? But also he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. We'll talk about that later on. And he who descended is also one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And this verse 11 picks up again. And he, that's Christ, Christ himself, gave some, some what? Some of these gifts. So some of these gifts he's given, and this is the form of some of those gifts. Some of these gifts he's given are apostles. Some of these gifts he's given are prophets. Some of these gifts he's given are evangelists. Some of these gifts he's given are pastors and teachers. Why are these gifts given? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. We're all the saints. You understand that the saints are not people that are put in stained glass windows that have halos around their head. That's religious teaching. Because they, they may be saints... But that's not what it takes to be a saint. You don't have to be voted in by somebody to be decided to be a saint. A saint comes from the word agios, which means somebody who's been set apart. And when you became born again, when you asked Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life, the Spirit of God was put in you and He sets you apart from, from, from those that are not. So if you're in Christ, you're set apart. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. Now, I'm not saying you're acting like one. You understand you can be something and not be acting like it? In fact, that's Paul's whole message here. I've told you who you are, now act like it. But we don't know how to act like it sometimes because we don't know who we are. We don't know what we've been made to be. We don't know the purpose of our calling. And therefore, we have to either be called back in remembrance to it or having known it and forgotten it, called up to act like in who we are. All right, come on. And that's what Paul's saying here. So these gifts, and they're known, because the word does not appear in the Bible, but they're known as the fivefold ministry gifts. So these are offices, people that God chooses and calls and ordains to put in an office. And it includes a pastor and a teacher, but an apostle, a prophet, and also an evangelist. And their function in the body of Christ. They're also saints. But their function in the body of Christ is to do this. It's to equip the saints. Now the word equip, I don't want to get stopped in here because this is so pregnant. 
with what God wants to say to us. That if I stop on one word, I won't get through what I've got to get through today. So I've got to discipline myself. So those ministry gifts are given to the church to equip, that word means to prepare, the saints for the work of the ministry. And that right there breaks the model that many churches follow. Because many people believe that the work of the ministry is to be done by the quote-unquote minister. And we pay him, and we decide whether he does a good job or not. But the biblical pattern is that those ministry gifts are given to all of us to equip us, the saints, the church, to do the work of the ministry. Notice it's work. We'll talk about that later too. It's the work of the ministry. The word minister there in Greek just means a table waiter. So the ministry gifts are given to the church to equip us to do the work of the ministry. And what's the purpose of that? What's the goal of the work of the ministry? And that's the rest of this. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying means building up. And here's the goal. Here's the vision that God has. This is the vision. God looking down on Faith Christian Center today. God looking down on you as part of Faith Christian Center today has a vision. And it's not just for Faith Christian Center. But that's who we are and that's who I'm responsible for. But this is for the whole body of Christ. But we're a part of that. And this is when God looks down on you or looks at you through the Holy Spirit and looks at all of us this morning. This is what He sees. And we're going to go through a process of taking what we see and bring it, because in this room this morning, for as many of you are in here, that's that many different views of what this church is. Your view of this church very often is what your experience is here. So we see ourselves often as we're somebody that belongs to or comes to Faith Christian Center. And that's fine. So we come here in, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights or whatever time the doors are open and our image of ourselves is we're coming here. What we have in common is we go to the same church. That's not God's image of us. And God wants to make clear to us how He sees us so He can then call us up to begin to walk in line with what He's already called us to do. We can already do it because He's already given us the ability and the equipment to do it. The Holy Spirit is that equipment. He's the Spirit of unity. But the Holy Spirit can only operate to do this to the extent that we see it and are willing to cooperate with Him and allow Him to bring us to that place. Only He can do that work. But He cannot do that work in vessels that don't see that vision and are not committed to go there. But we can't be committed to go somewhere we don't see, and we can't see something that hasn't been explained to us. And that's the purpose of this series. So the ministry gifts have been given to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And here's the vision. This is God's vision for this church. Until we all, and that word all just keeps ringing in me, Until we all, I say, God, is it possible for this to happen to all of us? He said, I wouldn't have said all if I didn't mean all. Until we all come, look at this, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. That word means mature, or the word actually means the fullness of your potential. So it doesn't mean perfect and that you never make a mistake. It means that you've reached the fullness of the potential that God has ordained for you. That Faith Christian Center reaches the fullness of the potential that God has ordained for us. I'm absolutely convinced. We Last year we celebrated our 30th anniversary as a church. And as I looked back on that, I looked back and I've often talked to other ministers and people within here and we talked often about that during that celebration. The hand of God has been on this place. It's not that it's not in other places, but I know it's been here. Through changes in leadership, through challenges and all kinds of things that God, God's hand and grace has been on it. It's not here because of any person. The founding pastor had a personality that was wonderful. 
But he had a way of saying things that you either loved him or you went somewhere else. You knew where he stood. He didn't patty cake around things. And yet God birthed this church and grew this church in some ways in spite of him. His heart was huge. And I know what he's doing here is in spite of me in many ways. And what he's done in the meantime. Because God has just ordained that this church be here. And I look back and I say, God, thank you for all that you've done. And I'm not always that bright, but I'm smart enough to realize if you've done all of that this for 30 years and protected this church and preserved this church and blessed this church financially in every way, why? 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 These 30 years have laid a foundation, I believe. The Bible teaches that one generation builds upon another generation, builds upon another generation, builds upon another generation. And the 30 years of this church has established a foundation for what I believe God's about to do. And you and I stand at the brink of that. What an incredible opportunity it is. What a very exciting time to be. But on the same point, it's also a time of great responsibility. Because God's purpose for this church is so far beyond the four walls of this church and what you and I experience on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. Because God thinks big. And I'm not talking about how big the churches get. I'm not thinking in terms of numbers and size. I'm talking about the bigness of what God wants to do. And all that's going on is merely a foundation. It's wonderful. It's been tremendous. But it's merely a foundation for what God is about to do. And what we're going to talk about is the, is the beginnings of that. What God must do in us so that He can do this through us. So that they all come to the unity of the faith to the, for the maturity, to, the, to a perfect man. That word perfect again means to reach the fullness of the potential that God has designed you. There is a potential. There is a blueprint. There is a, a vision that God has for this church. And what this is talking about is for us to come to the place where we all together as a church reach that place of potential. In order to do that, God has to do that in your own personal life. So this vision is for the church together and for you and I individually to all come to that place where we've reached the fullness of the potential that God has ordained, the fullness of it, not settle for falling 10% short, not 90%. See, with God, you don't have to have 90%. My goal is 100% of what God has ordained for us and for all of us. But then He tells us what that is. He doesn't leave us in doubt. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature or complete man. And here's the blueprint. You ever have been involved in, you know, when I was a lawyer, I was a, I, part of my time as a practice was doing commercial real estate. And so I've been involved many times representing clients when they would construct a building. They go to an architect, and the first thing the architect would do was put together what's called a rendering, which is an artistic drawing of a picture. So it had no details. It didn't tell you, you know, you know how, how tall it was. It just was an artist's drawing of what the thing was going to look like. And then if you agreed with that and liked that, they would begin to do other kinds of, uh, more levels of, there's different levels of detailed drawings they do. And God has a picture of this church. And here's the picture. He has a picture of you. On his, on his refrigerator of where he looks for you to be like. And here's the picture. To a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's vision of you and where he wants to take you and where he wants to take this church is to the fullness of the measure of Christ. So that when somebody sees you, they see Jesus. 
Our minds can balk at that because we know ourselves too well. But understand this, God knows you better than you know yourself. So if God says we can get there, who are we to say we can't? Now, if he didn't have all the information, if I'd managed to hide, you know, certain attitudes I had or certain, certain thought pattern or whatever, if we managed to hide some things from him and convince him to pick the good part and say, okay, Lord, make something good out of this, but we all knew all along we'd kind of hidden something from him, then I could understand why we wouldn't have confidence because he doesn't know the whole picture. But you understand when you came to Christ, he knew everything about you. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your innermost. In fact, the Word of God says that the Word of God can discern the difference between the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It can separate them. God knows everything about you at all times. From the beginning until the end. And He knows it all at once. And knowing all that, God says, this is the picture. This is where I'm taking you. So who am I to say, no, that can't happen? And the confidence that God has that that's going to happen is because, see, He's got a secret plan. He already put in you the nature and character to be that. So you were not in the process of taking the character of Christ and putting it in us. That's what you received when you were born again. That's why he says, work out your salvation. Take the salvation that's been put in you, and our role in the growing process is to work that out so it shows up on the outside. And we'll talk down the road about that. One of the processes is the renewing the mind. That's what Hebrews... uh, Romans 12, 2 says. We're to be examples of the will of God by the process of renewing our mind. We prove. You don't prove it to yourself. You prove it to others what God's like. And the process of that's renewing our mind. Well, I better move on. To the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. And here's what that's going to look like. That we no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and by cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting. All kinds of things came to get Jesus against him in his earthly ministry to pull him off course. And nothing could pull him off course. He couldn't be deceived. He couldn't be tricked. The Bible tells us that in the last days... There will be many that will be deceived. That means there will be many that won't. The ones that won't will be the ones that are growing up into the image of Christ. Because one of the signs of that is we'll no longer be children. See, when things move you off the Word of God, when things move you easily and you get distracted, we'll talk about one of the signs of children, when you get distracted easily by other things other than the things of God, that's a sign of of immaturity, of being a child. Children are easily distracted. So that we no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. So there's doctrines that come along. And people go over here and they say, oh, this is going on over here. These meetings are going on. Oh, God's over here. And they're over here. When we were in Bible school, we were in Tulsa, which at that time was like a spiritual Disneyland or Disney World. I mean, just there's a, I was a brand new Christian. I mean, oh, my goodness. Brother so-and-so is in this church. Wow, I've seen him on TV. Let's go over there. And then tonight... Sister, what's your names? Down at that church. Let's go over there. You see, we had committed to a local church. And when our brother Doodad was... uh, The school we went to had brother Doodad come. And that was two blocks from where we lived. And the church we went to was 45 minutes on the other end of town. So I took my family in the car 45 minutes to the other end of town because that's the church God had put us in. Because I was there to hear what God had to say for us as part of that church. We were part of that church. Not chasing after Brother Doodad's latest doctrine. Not that there's anything wrong with Brother Doodad or his doctrines. But that's not where God had us put to grow. Amen. Amen. See, when we're 
That one of the signs of childishness is we're, we're attracted by what's going on over here and what's going on over here instead of put here so I can grow. We'll go through all these things. And then that's being pulled off by winds of doctrine. Then there's the trickery of men. Not every man who comes to you looking like sheep is a sheep. Some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. And listen to me carefully. Often sheep have trouble telling the difference between sheep's Sheep and wolves. But a pastor can smell the difference. Because a pastor, a shepherd knows the smell of his sheep. Sheep are busy eating, which is what they're supposed to do. Shepherds are busy watching the sheep to make sure they're safe enough to eat. So a shepherd's job is to smell around and touch and see whether everything that's among the flock are really sheep or whether that's sheep's clothing covering a wolf. The trickery of men. The trickery of men. So we're to mature so we're not moved by the trickery of men. Or craftiness of deceiving plotting. But speaking the truth in love, oh, we'll dwell there, We may grow up, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Grow up in all things into Him who is the head. God is calling you and me and Faith Christian Center to grow up. Have there ways we've been mature? Yes, there are. This is a very loving, giving church. We're known in many parts of the world among missionaries as a very giving church. And that's wonderful and commendable. It's what we should do. But there are areas where we need to grow up. Because remember what the picture is we're to grow up into. It's Christ. And I don't care how good we are here. We're not there yet. So there's growing we need to do. And that's what we're going to learn to do. Is we're going to learn how to grow up spiritually. We're going to learn how to grow up. I remember, as I told you before, I'll be 65 this year. I remember several years ago having to stand before the Lord in my basement because I'd begun to see some areas of my life where I was acting immaturely. And it was very humbling to stand before God. I can stand before you and say this because I already stood before Him. And said, God, I recognize there are areas in my life. I wanted to say change, but I knew inside of me it wasn't change. I need to grow up. There's some things I needed to do with Pastor Sam. used to say, grab yourself by the back of the neck collar and pick yourself up and say, John, just do it. Don't think how hard it is or whether you feel like doing it. Do it anyway because you know it's the right thing to do. And I just stand before God and said, I didn't have a father. I had a father, but I didn't have a father that would challenge me and encourage me to grow. And I said, but I have you. And even though I'm 60, whatever years it was at that point, I said, you're my father. I want, need you to do that for me. Well, don't ask unless you're ready. <laughs> and I'm so thrilled. And the more he does that with me, the more I see I need to grow. Oh, I've got to move on. Until we all grow up, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body... That's all of us. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. You are a part of this body. And in order for this body to reach the fullness of what God's ordained for us to do, every part has to do its function and do its share. Just like your physical body. Every part has to do its part. If it's not, something's wrong with your body. So you go to a doctor or somebody to get it fixed. Find out what you've got to do so that all the parts are working, not just working properly, but they're doing what their function is. Working by which every part supplies or doesn't share, causing the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We spent some time in this last year, but I want to go back to it and call you back to it. 
Because the writer of Hebrews here is challenging these Hebrew believers because they were being, they were being, <laughs> they were being pulled off by a doctrine. They'd been on course and a doctrine had begun to creep in. Deceiving men were coming into their congregation. And the writer of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or whoever it was, writes this word to call them back to the things that they've known about who Christ is. That, they were not, that, that salvation was not by faith in Christ plus obeying the law. And as the whole letter is written for that point of view. And having done that, now he's, he's going to minister to them how to receive the correction. Because it's one thing to be corrected, it's another thing to know how to receive it. And again, we spent time on this last year. We talked about challenges and growing in challenges. Verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? So he's talking about a relationship of a father and a son. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That means training. Nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's the first thing I want you to see. He corrects, disciplines, and trains only those he loves. So God's challenging us and calling us up and in the process perhaps disciplining us is only motivated by the fact that He loves us. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son He receives. Verse 7. But if you endure chastening, then God's able to deal with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Lord does not chasten? The word chasten means to discipline or train. So a father that loves us will not leave us where we are. But he'll challenge us. He'll, he'll, he'll teach us. Sometimes provoke us to grow and mature. Because a father sees the potential. And because that father loves that child, he will not allow the child to stay where they are. He has, understands that he at four years of age, a child's not capable of doing many things. But a child at four years of age can learn responsibilities. A child at four years of age can learn responsibilities. I know they're cute. But they can learn responsibility. And because we love them, we will give them things to do so that they can learn how to handle things so that they can grow and mature. And we'll talk later. There's a pattern the Bible teaches about all that. Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, of which you've all become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. In other words, if God isn't willing to chasten us and train us, get the word chasten out of your mind, train us, and challenge us to grow up, that means we're not really His kids. Because if we're His child, He won't leave us where we are. He won't settle with where you are. And where we are as a church. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us. This was written, obviously, a long time ago. But we still do today. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjecting to the Father of spirits and live? But they indeed, talking about our natural parents, for a few days trained us or chastened us as seemed best to them. In other words, they did the best they could. But He, our natural Father, our, our Heavenly Father, for our profit, look at this, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems joyful. If it is, it really wasn't chastening for the present. But painful, nevertheless, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. What I want you to see this morning, and if this is all you see, this is all you need to see this morning. Because God loves us, He will not leave us where we are. I'm not talking about abandoning us. That goes without saying. He won't leave us at this level of growth. He will challenge us and call us. 
And that's what I hear in my heart. God calling this church, as wonderful it is, as great as it's been, with this wonderful heritage history we have, God's not satisfied with that. That's all gone on as a foundation so that God can do through us and in us what He's always planned to do. Matthew chapter 5. This opened. I'll be as sincere with you as I can. I never used to like the Sermon on the Mount. I knew it was in the Bible. It's in red, so I knew Jesus said it in my Bible. And I'd read it because I should. I know it was good for me. But it was like eating Brussels sprouts to me. Now, they're one of the few foods I still don't like, but I'll eat them when I have to because I know they're good for me. So I would eat Matthews 5 and 6 and 7 because, but they were still like Brussels sprouts. I didn't eat until I read these verses. And God opened my eyes. And it's changed. I love these verses now. I love this, these chapters now. Here's what he read, showed me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. Oh, let's see. Um, well, we better just for time's sake start in 43. Because he's doing a bunch of comparisons here. I mean, before he said, you know, if somebody, it's just, people struggle with this. If somebody slaps you on your right cheek, turn and give them the left cheek. And we know it's in the Bible, but does that mean I'm supposed to be a doormat? That's not what he's talking about. He said, if somebody wants to steal, you know, your coat, give them the second coat you have. That's not what he's talking about. You know, don't clean your closet after the thief that comes in and stand there and hand things to him. That's, that's, that's stupid. That's not what he's talking about. But see, that's what people do. They'll take... They don't understand the spirit of what he's saying. And here's the spirit of what he's saying. Verse 43. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's not doing those things that make you his son. What he's saying is because you're his son, this is how he acts. This is how God acts towards people that use him and abuse him and don't treat him right. When we slap God in the face, God doesn't slap us back and aren't we glad. How could I ever slap God in the face? By disregarding what he says? By dishonoring him in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds? By not paying him the respect and reverence that he is due is to slap him in the face. And what he's saying here is our human reaction if somebody slaps you us in the face is to get back at them somehow. And he's saying our heavenly father does not do that. If someone compels you, go, forces you to go mile with, one mile with him, then go too. In other words, do more than they ask you to do. Why? Because that's what he's like. And human thinking is, we love our, our friends because why? Because they love us back. We get something back for it. But it's not natural to love somebody that can't do anything back for you. But think of this from God's perspective. What can we possibly give to Him that He needs? So if He blesses you financially and you, and you give Him the tithe that's already His, you think God says, I can make payroll in heaven now. I've been sweating that one out. Boy, you know, if Jerome and Patty didn't pay their tithes this week, I were not going to make it. We think that God thinks like we do. And he's saying, this is how I act regarding how you treat me. If God only loved those that loved him, if God only loved those that loved him, None of us would be here because the Bible tells us in 1 John, here we all love God because He 
first loved us. So the capacity we have to love him back is because he loved us enough to give us the capacity to love him. But if everything he did for us was only in response to what we did for him, we're done. And that's the church. And how do you handle those who... That's one thing that just loving, hating your net, praying for your enemy. What about those who despitefully use you? None of us had ever done that of God, of course. We've never taken gifts that God's given us and just assumed we were entitled to them and not bothered to thank Him, have we? I know none of us have ever done that. And He says, when someone does that with you, you're to pray for them. When they persecute you, pray for them and love them. Why? Because that's what I've done for you. So he's saying, I'm calling you to act like your heavenly father. This is how he's acted towards you. Now you need to act that way towards one another because you're his children. Verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who loved you, what reward do you have? Not Even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do, you, do even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect or complete, just as your heavenly Father is perfect or complete. We went to this married couples event last night. It was a wonderful event. We came in and, you know, we got our cards for what food we were going to eat, which we picked out. And come in and there's an open room, lots of, some people sitting someplace, an open table. And I look out there and, and I feel this pressure that, where, do I, where, where should we sit? This is where we live, isn't it? We don't talk about this much, but where should we sit? Who are we going to sit with? And I'm looking around and, and so we just... We just picked an empty table. And God began to talk to me about this issue of growing up. Because it's practical things. It's little things sometimes. He said, look at the things in your heart. Are there certain people you want sitting with you? Are there people, certain people you may not want to sit? No, don't think of yourselves or who may be. I'm just talking to me in general. He said, just look around the room. He said, and you're no different because we're human. We want to be with the people we like. And so what we do without consciously thinking about it is we form cliques. I like this group because I'm comfortable with them. And there may be somebody sitting over there all by themselves. And I know that I notice them, but I want to be with my people which is exactly what he's talking about here. And the Lord began to talk to me. He said, son, one of the signs of maturing is that you begin to look at things in terms of what other people's needs are in the little things. And being willing to sit with somebody or invite somebody that you may not know that well and may even not feel comfortable with just because you don't know them. Because that's what I do. We want God to be, we want to be in His presence. Imagine what that's like from His perspective. Imagine what that's like from God's perspective. For, you know, we kind of think about that and presume about that because we know that's what the Bible says and God has opened the door and invited us in. But, but you, you think from God's perspective... I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in a really practical sense, he's slumming it. Yep. <laughs> now, he loves us. So don't pull back and discourage. But don't ever think, you know, I'm sitting at the table with God because I'm on his level. God and I, you know, we need to get intimate with God and close to God, but don't get too familiar because we're to approach Him in reverence and worship. 
where I found the closest I've ever felt God's presence was, I, was when I was in the, clo- the, the most awe of who He is. Amen. So He wants us in His presence. But don't ever forget that God has us in His presence because He loves us and He cares about, He knows what that presence is going to do for us. He's drawing us to Himself because He knows what His presence will do for us. And yes, it pleases Him for us to be with Him. And He's calling here. Begin to think like your Father thinks. Begin to have an attitude that your Father has. That what He does isn't based on what He's going to get back out of it. But what He does is based on the the caring and compassion He has for those people that He sees need Him. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And all God's doing now is just beginning to open our eyes to see where we need to grow, grow up. So you can't grow up if you don't see the need to grow up. If I were to look at myself and say, I'm 64 years old, people my age don't change, I'm pretty well set in my ways, then guess what? That's where I am. But I've determined I don't care what age I am. If God's saying, son, I want to challenge you to grow up, and if he says I can do it, and I can do it, and I will. Where did I tell you to go, Romans? That was good. That's a good place. That's where I'm trying to find. Verse 28, we'll start with a very famous verse, and then we'll show into what it's connected to. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His... who are called according to His... who are called according to His... and what is His purpose? Verse 29... For whom he foreknew, or knew ahead of time, he predestined. Don't get hung up on that word. That word just means he planned ahead of time. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. When he called you, it was with the purpose of conforming you, changing you in to the image of his son. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. You are here today because he called you. No one comes to him unless he calls them. Now, some people don't listen to the call, but you came, you're here because he called you. But he called you with a purpose for you. And the purpose was to work in you and change you, conform you to the fullness of the image of Christ. And everything God does with you in your life is God at work in you because He is single-minded. I've had God present something to me and I would chuck and drive around it. You know, I'd come up with all my, well, that's too hard. I can't do that. You know, well, you understand what I'm going through. God, blah, 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 blah. All the childhood excuses. I know you told me to clean up my room, but, you know, it's too hard. You understand? It's, you know, I can't think how to, Oh, it's too difficult, Dad. I just, it's, it's called fainting. And we do it with God in ways we may not even realize. Every situation that has, happens in your life, every one of them is an opportunity for you to grow. Everyone. God didn't say cause it but he'll use them as an opportunity to grow up because he is determined. And those issues I tried to put off, guess what? Sooner or later, he brings me back around to them again because he is single-minded about getting you to the place where you are growing to the fullness of the image of Christ. So let's learn to cooperate with him instead of fighting him. He won't change his mind. He's not going to quit. And so we're going to learn how to do that. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And some translations say, and such we are. Then it goes on and says, So that we may have confidence in His coming. Because as He is, so are we in this world, it says later on. But it says that when He comes, when He appears, we shall discover that we are like Him. And then it goes on to say, and everyone who has this hope 
purifies himself. Now, this is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's not something we can make happen. All we can do is learn how to cooperate with the Spirit of God to allow Him to work in our lives to do that. But what I believe with all my heart, I know that the Spirit of God is calling us, is to do this together as a church. To do this together as a church. God is calling us. He's instilled things in us. The Word of God has been taught here for 30 years without compromise, under a powerful anointing. All kinds of people have come and gone in terms of speakers. All kinds of prophecies have been spoken over this church. And now is the time. But the preparation of that, the beginning of that, is not going to be some spectacular thing that you see because if you notice those things fade and go away. But it's a growing process that takes going to take place inside of us together. We're going to be in this together. That means if we stumble, we stumble together. We get back up together. We brush ourselves off together. We're going to do this together. And the confidence I have is not in me as a pastor to do this. And it's not in you and me together as a congregation. The confidence I have is I know I'm hearing God's voice calling this, speaking to us, and I've and I know God's, the Spirit of God in us. This is why we've done the things we've done in preparation. The Spirit of God in us is the ability to do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We don't understand. We look at ourselves so often and we say, Father, why me? Why us? But, but that's your business. It's not our business to question why you choose us or select us to do anything. Our business only, Father, is to ask us, what is it you require? What do you want? And you're telling us today that you want us to grow up. And, and, and we don't even know all that means. And we don't need to because we trust you. Father, our minds may balk at some of this and say, I don't think we can do it. But your word says we can. And you say we can. Not in our strength, not in our ability, but by the anointing and the, and the ability of the Holy Spirit in us. And so we ask us today, Father, to prepare us to say yes to you. We must give an answer to this call. A call requires an answer. Prepare us to give an answer to this call. That we might do what you've put us here to do. And that we might grow as you've called us to grow. Thank you for loving us this much and being so patient with us. And now help us, Lord. We need your help in Jesus' name.